Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello, and welcome back to The Critic podcast. In this episode, writer Alexander Lahman tells The Critic's deputy editor, Graham Stewart, why he thinks studying English literature at university is becoming such a deadening experience. Alexander Lahman, uh, you've written a piece for The Critic Online uh, titled The Death of the English Literature Degree. That sounds a bit dramatic. Well, I was going to say, Graham, the, uh, the severe ill health of the English literature degree, and that might be slightly more accurate. But if you want a pithy headline, you've got to get the word death in there somewhere. And after the death of the author, the death of the degree seemed about the right kind of tone. Yes, well, the author hasn't died. So why is, uh, why is it your view that English literature is uh, in the emergency ward? The emergency ward's being operated on by every surgeon in sight. Um, what have things happened about English literature in the last 15, 20 years is that the sort of uptake for it has changed. Because once upon a time, the kind of people who did English divided up into all sorts of categories. You have people who saw it as a vocational degree and would want to go off into academia or into teaching or in any of those things. But then there's also people who were doing English, such as myself, because of a love of literature and a love of reading. And it seemed wonderful to me when I did my degree about 20 years ago, that I would be able to go to university and spend three years not just reading, but being able to discuss the books I'd read some of the most intelligent people in the country. And to me, that was the perfect way of, you know, doing my higher education and of actually coming to a situation of understanding what I was reading, but also being able to draw on this great tradition of what literature is and to understand when you're reading, not in isolation like you do at GCSE or A-level, reading the entire canon, that you really understand why books, books are made up of other books. And, I think the understanding of that as a literary tradition is a wonderful thing because most people writing today are influenced by earlier writers. There's very few writers out there who are not themselves steeped in the study of literature and the study of writing. So you would have thought that for many people, being able to go to university and being able to read and to talk about literature is a wonderful thing. And yet at the moment, it seems to me that the study of English literature is in the worst straits it's been in since it became a relatively common degree in the 20th century. And there's two ways of looking at this. And the first way of looking at this is simply that English, like a lot of art subjects, is in the last chance saloon because the government have essentially said, we want funding to go towards science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And that's depressing. But then there's something else I think, which is actually, it's, a, it's much more of an issue with the study of English literature itself. And that's that it is being treated as not a study of an art, but a study of a kind of social science. And what I think the problem is, is that for about 50 to 60 years now, the idea of things like critical theory and structuralism and so on, have meant that universities can teach English literature without any kind of judgment as to the quality and, and the interest and the ability of what you've got in terms of books and in terms of writers. But instead, it becomes a very dry, very arid exercise in things like buzzwords and catchphrases like the death of the author and things like that. 
And I think the problem is, is that in our current age, when we're talking a lot about things like patriarchy and the white man's voice and so on, you see that English literature, which is by its very definition, dominated certainly by white voices. And I mean, even though the remarkable rise in female writing from the 19th century onwards has to be taken into account, male voices, you are essentially saying that if you look at the great writers in the English language, such as Shakespeare, Chaucer, Dickens, Joyce, and so on, they are the classic dead white men. And if you are this young politicized student who's coming up to university, you don't really want to sit down and study a dead white man. So you are essentially finding your own way into a degree course where you want to avoid all that. And if you treat the subject not as an exercise in reading literature, but instead as an exercise in studying it as a kind of fascinating yet rather detached life science, then you don't have to make any judgment about Shakespeare or any judgment about Dickens as writers. You just view them as social phenomenons. So I'm a, I'm a bit confused, Alexander, about your, the the drift of your point. Are you saying that you know, there's a younger generation of teenagers going up to university now for whom they they don't read these dead white males? They want more relevant voices. They want more women. I mean, one you, you, you mentioned likes of Shakespeare. I mean, you might have equally mentioned Jane Austen, George Eliot, and so on, who are who are you know still. Uh, very much uh, um, uh, uh, features of most uh, English literature courses, I would have thought. You know, there was a time when uh, no English literature course was uh, self-respecting unless um, Angela Carter was, was being taught. So, I mean, there, there are these other voices taught. Is it the case that it's more a matter of just expanding the uh, curriculum of set texts or are you saying students want something different or are you saying that actually it's the academics who are offering a different approach to English literature uh, and that is actually something that a lot of students don't enjoy or see the value of? Well, I think, Graham, unfortunately, it's a bit of a push-me-pull-you situation, but I think there's obviously students are coming to universities where there is, if you like, the a la carte option, except it seems increasingly as if in the academic tables that they are feasting upon, the a la carte has been long replaced by a table d'hote, and that table d'hote is getting thinner and mangier by the year. Because the problem is, is there are some outstanding academics out there. I mean, I know several people who are brilliant, passionate men and women who know their subject inside out and would see it as their duty to inspire students. But I wouldn't say that English literature the academic study thereof is something that attracts lazy people because it's simply not, you know, it, it isn't well paid enough to attract people who see it as a sinecure. What I think the issue is, is that a lot of people working within academia who would define themselves as woke, who would also define themselves as people who are socially conscious, would agree with these younger people who see the deadening hand of the patriarchy and the deadening hand of this rather canonical view of literature. And so they're saying, right, OK, we are not going to teach literature as it would have been taught in historic courses because we think that's old fashioned. We think that the idea of what's called dismissively reader response theory is fundamentally something that we can move beyond. So what you start looking at now is a situation where these young politicised students who very much see themselves as consumers are coming to university 
And they are asking for an English degree to be offered, which is going to, first of all, come up to their criteria in terms of social justice, in terms of inclusivity, in terms of a range of voices. But secondly, that this degree is in some sense going to get them a job afterwards. And I think there's this awful gulf between the two ideas, because I cannot see from an employer's perspective how spending three years deconstructing, if you will, the apparent Black Lives Matter message in Jane Austen is going to take you and give you an employability in most jobs. I mean, of course, you know, English has never been a purely vocational degree in the way so let's say medicine or engineering has. I mean, men and women who have read literature at university have always done so through a love of books and a love of reading, rather, I think, than because they had a set goal of how they were going to get a job. And in fact, it's always interesting when you look at people who have come into the highest, you know, certainly political offices in the world. I mean, Michael Gove, a man who's much discussed at the moment as an English graduate, and Andy Burnham, the king across the water, read English at Cambridge. So you can certainly see that actually these leading figures did do English as almost an alternative to PPE. But I also think that the English de degrees themselves are running out of steam because I think that it's very, very hard now in 2021 to revert to a kind of canonical, you will begin studying literature with old English and you will end it in the present day. Because once upon a time, we said that was my own experience of studying literature. And I think that was how a lot of universities ran it. But now you don't have the resources to do that. So instead what you have to do is, is to find these topics which students are going to be interested in. And unfortunately, this has meant that things like medieval literature, which many people would regard as the building blocks of a serious study, have been completely ostracized. And of course, there's a story very recently about Leicester University, which has completely canned its studies of medieval literature. And this is a, an enormous shame. I mean, I wrote for the critic about it. Because Leicester University has this great tradition. I mean, Philip Larkin is its librarian and his girlfriend Monica Jones was one of the lecturers there. But even while Jones was a lecturer at Leicester, she would bemoan the drift away from the study of literature towards the study of literary culture and literary theory. And I think if you take that saga, which I think went on between the 50s and the 80s, and you watch the rise of what was initially the polytechnics and now the new universities, you're also seeing the idea that literature has become something which is almost controversial to take seriously. It's the idea that if you're not coming out with something which is trend setting, if you're not coming out with something which is buzzworthy, what exactly are you teaching? Well, I mean, there's a few points there, um, aren't there? I mean, unless your university are, say their reason for dropping medieval literature is that simply there's a lack of demand and um, its students are consumers and to, you know, they're paying for it, so they are consumers. Um, you know, if there isn't demand for a service, then that service gets act and uh, gets axed and, you know, that, that's just a fact of life. Um, you know, there, there isn't the study of Anglo-Saxon that, that there was, um, you know, back in the days of, of Tolkien. But, um, I mean, one just has to kind of accept that, surely, and one has to uh, maybe acknowledge that um, English literature departments, far from dying, are, are evolving. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, you know, the difficulty of having a, uh, of having a canon. Uh, we, we are in a, in a more diverse society today. 
is it not just the fact that the, the literary canon, uh, as you and I might understand it, um, is, is, is a dead or, or dying concept and perhaps cannot be revived in our more diverse society? Well, I think there's two different ways of looking at that. But on the one hand, there is the idea that we should study more writers, we should study more black writers, more female writers, more writers from different voices. And of course, once upon a time, you'd have to go, if you wanted to study black writers, you'd have to go to American writing, where there was that tradition of black writing, which you did not have in this country until relatively recently. But then if you look at the last 50 years, you look at writers like Ben Okri and Zadie Smith, you've definitely now got that tradition in Britain. And what I would want to see at a modern university course is writers like Okri and Smith being taught on the same level as the likes of Ben Johnson or Alexander Pope, because I don't think that just because somebody's been writing in the last decade rather than 400 years ago, you can start to make a qualitative difference between their work. And so, yes, I would definitely say that one should be able to be as passionate about a living writer as, I mean, because I've studied Tom Stoppard when I was a student and he, I, I did a dissertation on him. I've actually met Stoppard while I was doing my dissertation. Didn't mean that I had any greater insight into the work that was written down. But I do feel that it's important not to see literature as something fossilised, not to see the sort of levisite idea of a canon as something that just sits there and has to be regarded in the same way that we regard a monument. So no, I mean, my argument has never been that we should cut off the study of English literature at a certain arbitrary point and not look at anything published beyond then. What I'm much more concerned about is the turning literature into a social science and the way in which there's a certain kind of academic, one of whom I was taught by, who believed that critical theory was essentially the way of understanding literature and had no particular interest in the written word for its own sake. He was much more interested in how he could take tools and use those tools to have what he saw gave you a greater understanding of culture and a greater understanding of historiography. I thought this was bogus and I said this was bogus and he told me that I was a fool and I didn't know anything and that he was the academic who had all the answers and I was just an insolent student. And he might well have been right and he might well have actually known a lot more about his subject than I did on the grounds that he was a, a man of, with a PhD who'd been studying it for years and I was a 22 year old. But what I believed then and I believe now is that he was essentially like a man who had the emperor's new clothes. And to me, a lot of literary study in this literary theory has been devoted to the emperor's new clothes for decades. Because if you invent a theory that, is, that somehow explains away the difficulties you might have with looking at the study of literature that just conveniently decides to say, right, it no longer matters whether a book is good or a book is bad. We will judge it instead of these relative terms. You think, it's brilliant because you've invented a completely new way of looking at your subject where you no longer have to sit there and argue with students as to whether a book is good, a book is bad, or what the writer's intentions were. Instead, you, all you have to argue is, is this book important? But then of course, it brings us to the other issue about who decides what, what is important, who decides why a book like this should be placed on any kind of syllabus. And of course, it's, you know, who watches for Watchmen, because ultimately academics these days are, they're a fearful bunch from what I've seen, because they know that, that higher education is changing. They know that it's much harder 
to express opinions which might be controversial or outside the mainstream. I mean, we've seen over and over again, University of Essex, for instance, people being carpeted with issues of free speech. And if you start to look at, say, the works of Shakespeare, there are many, many things in Shakespeare which are problematic from a contemporary description. How do you teach a fellow and try and deal with that in terms of the racial epithets that are being, that are being thrown around? It's very hard because what you do not want to do is to attempt to look at this stuff and not deal with the social and political implications of what's going on in the play. But nor do you want to sit there and just say, this isn't happening. This isn't something that we need to think about. Because I do think that something that Leavis got wrong and something that other critics have got wrong since is to judge literature as if there is no historical context to it. Because we come at the study of English literature knowing that there has been this, if you will, in, in Harold Bloom's words, anxiety of influence, and that everyone writing now is building on earlier writers. And we are all influenced, whether we like it or not, by this existing canon. And I think that, that's, that could be a liberating thing as much as it's an imprisoning thing, but we can take literature that we like and that we respond to. And we can not seek to better it necessarily, but we can seek to use it. I mean, for instance, a great example is how Jane Eyre, one of the great classics of 19th century literature, produced Wild, Wild Sargasso Sea by Jean Rhys. And that, of course, is a post-colonial response to many of the issues raised. And that's the book that came out in, I think, 1969. And that's incredibly fresh and incredibly true to any, any kind of serious literary study. But then on the other hand, a book like Jane Eyre has a lot to say about male patriarchal influence, about liberation, about what the nature of male-female relationships are. And it'd be an enormous mistake to write off things like this because they happen to be old. But essentially for me, it comes down to the fact that students are not being given the chance to have these discussions and these debates. Instead, they are turning up at university, paying their best part of £10,000 a year to be offered, I think, very thin gruel in a lot of cases because numbers are going down all the time. Apart from at Oxbridge, I do not believe there are many universities that are offering small group tutorials, that kind of intimate teaching, because I think that's just not available in terms of the amount of staff and the amount of resources available. And so ultimately, you know, you are going to these lectures and these big seminars, and that's how you're being taught literature. And if you don't agree, if you want to have debate and you want to be able to talk, you know, in greater detail, that's quite hard. So you've, you've got three years where there probably isn't the opportunity to say, okay, this is what I believed when I started here. This is what I've come to believe. And I think a lot of people now don't leave university fired up and excited at wanting to go off and write or teach or share their knowledge. They're disappointed. They think, well, either I haven't had a chance to really get to grips with the subject, or worse, I've been fed this incomprehensible bunkum for years, and I don't actually think I've studied English literature. So when I see that these degree courses are in danger and you see these people are no longer signing up to study, you think to yourself, this is both a tragedy, but it's also potentially an opportunity. But the problem is, it's only going to be an opportunity if the whole face of academia changes. And it's not just a question of literary study, it's a question of what exactly is university for? I know this is something that's been debated 
you know, in the pages of the critics since it began, and I think it's a debate which we should, shows no signs of ending because ultimately, is university a place for free speech? Is it a place that young men and women can actually offer opinions freely and expect those opinions to be heard? Or is it a place where in fact you're enforcing an orthodoxy which might claim to be liberal or might claim to be one of open-mindedness, but in fact could end up being repressive and restrictive? And these are very much live issues and I can't come out with a definitive answer today for what's going to happen. But I do think that making this point, making this argument I mean, I was quite surprised because I, I wrote a piece last week and I wrote what I believed to be true. But the debate that it stirred up on social media on both sides has been very interesting because I've had these messages of support and people saying that they went to university and have found it disappointing and this is why it's disappointing. But there's also been people like the esteemed critic Jonathan Bate, who's the provost of Worcester College at Oxford, saying that I'm speaking rubbish and that he's known all these people at his university in America and at in Oxford, who are bright and enthusiastic and love literature and come armed with all kinds of, you know, brilliant ideas, to which I say wonderful, you know, people like that should be studying literature and I hope they go off to be, you know, the next Jonathan Bate themselves. But certainly I think that there is this fear, I mean, from, from my part, I'm just a writer, I'm not somebody who has any kind of say in this matter, but I'm glad I can write candidly and I'm glad I can say this stuff publicly because I think that if I was an academic, I would not be able to say this stuff because I know at least one academic who says to me constantly, I can't say what I think because I would lose my job. And if I lost my job at you know, the major university he happens to be teaching at, I wouldn't be able to get another one either. Well, look, I, I, I take your point about the, the fear that you, the joy of literature, the joy of the canon um, is being uh, buried under a, a social science approach of semiotics and deconstruction and phenomenology, uh, you know, acts of consciousness and, 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 and so on. But uh, is there a danger of confusing what a university degree is for as distinct from um, what uh, secondary schooling is for. Surely secondary schooling is where we learn the canon or are introduced to the, to the, the canon of English literature, a love of the great works. Uh, and then at university, we are taking a, a, a different uh, approach to it. I mean, you, you were saying about you know, the dangers of, of students not uh, you know, not being uh, equipped for um, uh, for life beyond university with, with these very much these cr critical theory style degrees, but it is just you know spending three years reading some Penguin classics uh, equipping you for uh, for life uh, after the uh, after the after the campus. Well, I think that obviously you'd like to think that at secondary school you are studying the canon, but I think that we both know that in GCSE and A-level these days your reading is going to be narrow and probably devoid of a lot of the context that it needs. And in fact, the constant refrain you hear is of people starting at, you know, Oxbridge and every other university who have not read widely and who have not had that kind of literary experience. So this is merely a reflection on the restrictive levels of you know, the GCC and the A-level curriculum. So unfortunately, you do not have what would be the ideal situation, which is where at school, you read the canon and at university, you interrogate the canon because I think that is what university should be for. It should be for learning your own mind, for having your own opinions and being able to discuss these opinions. And I think that 
debate is absolutely what university is. I mean, that's how, I mean, I spent years at university arguing and debating and talking things through. And what I found depressing was when you didn't have that debate, when people would just try and tell you that their opinions were right and that yours were wrong. And I think to myself, that's not a useful way of approaching the study of anything, let alone literature, because I've never believed that just because somebody has an exalted reputation as a writer, they are beyond criticism. I mean, there was an excellent piece the other day about Virginia Woolf on The Critic, which essentially takes the idea that Woolf, this great, sainted feminist heroine, is not in fact the major writer that she's been held up to be. And I think there's a very good debate to be had either side. You can point at Wolf's literary achievements and her social achievements. And you can also make the argument that actually she's a modish writer whose reputation will one day disappear, much the same with D.H. Lawrence, who for a very long time was held up as an absolute shining star. And I think in large part because of the Lady Chatterley case. And he was also seen as this pioneering figure of free speech. But now nobody reads Lawrence, nobody studies him. And we have this inbuilt sell-by date, I think, for many writers. But university should be where these discussions are held. And of course, it doesn't mean that because some 19-year-old from Bista Village says, I don't like Shakespeare, but in a generation's time, nobody's going to be talking about Shakespeare anymore. But I think that interrogating our ideas of the canon and interrogating our ideas of what students should be studying in 2021 are very important. What I do not believe is that cloaking it in some wispy, rather miserable, you know, baggage of semiotics, phenomenology, all these buzzwords which don't mean anything. I don't believe that's actually going to make anybody understand the subject better. And actually, I mean, what I'd do if it was up to me, be, I'd, I'd hive all that off and call it something else. You know, it's not English literature. It's, it's a social science. I mean, call it that. Call it literary sciences or, or something else. And then you would actually have a very interesting situation because you would see, is the one more popular than the other? Because if you're being told you can go to university and not have to deal with any form of what we would understand as literary criticism, but instead look at it purely through this postmodern viewpoint. I'm sure a lot of people find that interesting and find it worthwhile just because I don't, and because I don't think that that is what literature exists for, doesn't mean it's not valid. But I do think that putting that within the guise of an English literature degree is a fundamentally dishonest bait and switch. Well, it's an exciting thought that uh, you may have created a whole new uh, a series of departments across universities in, in literary science, um, academics may start writing to you approvingly after all with the career opportunities that presents. Uh, Alexander Lahman, whose uh, article is online on the Critic website at the moment, The Death of the English Literature Degree, for now, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Graham. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.